Ali Baker, she, her, an education lecturer and children's fantasy literature researcher at University of East London. You're listening to Fantasy Book Swap, where a guest and I swap children's fantasy fiction, one classic and one contemporary, and we discuss them. Today, I am joined by Ruth Hunt, she, her, education lecturer, researcher, and my cherished colleague. Hello, what have you been up to recently? Hello, Ali. I've been mainly befriending wood pigeons. Wood pigeons, that makes a change from your squirrel pals. Yes, these are, um, they're, they're so fluffy and so stupid, they'll do anything for food. So I have <laughs> befriended them with the aid of, of much food. Well, I think I know some people that we could uh, we could say that we can befriend with food as well. And we won't say whether they're stupid and fluffy, though. <laughs> Let's not be rude about our colleagues. <laughs> so um, we're talking about the world of Tortal, um, which I never really know how to say. Tortal? Tortal? Um, potatoes, potatoes. Uh, which... which um, we've both talked about before and uh, you've chosen well we haven't actually chosen the book that you read first as a child because it doesn't really it, it was very much the beginning of the series wasn't it Alana that the first journey the first test no Alana the first Alana the first adventure yes um but we have chosen Wild Magic, which is a slightly later book. Would you like to introduce us to the world of Tortal? Yeah, and I'm really glad that you um, said the potato, potato, Tortal, Tortal, because <laughs> I realised that I've never, because I read them in my head as a child, yeah. and I haven't listened to audiobooks, I'm, I'm freestyling all of the pronunciations because they're what what my 13-year-old self thought they might be pronounced yeah. like. Um, but it... It's a world where um, it's a. It strikes me as a quasi-medieval world because mm. there are knights and um, kings and queens, and there's nobility, but there's also tribesmen and lots of magic. Yeah. And and as that as the universe un, unfolds, we meet different kinds of magic. So there are mag- sort of hints of magic animals in the earlier books, mm. and they they come to the fore at different places, um, much more strongly as the universe sort of unfolds before us and there's a very um it's it's rooted in these real kingdoms of Tortal and then there's Carthac and and other there are there's a described universe and countries mm-hmm. but amongst all of that there's also a very distinct good and evil and the good isn't necessarily nation-based mm-hmm. and the evil isn't necessarily nation-based so I really like that it's it's not um, a goodies versus baddies clear cut universe, but there is a definite sense of um, there's a right side of history almost. Um, but the complications within that universe of slavery, of um, mistrust of some um, different groups, particularly tribal groups or um, those that are seen as less educated if we take the magic front with the the head witches and the the mages and so it's it's a really diverse universe which has distinct physical geography and location distinct hierarchies and yet um 
this bubbling mix of people who we get to know in the in the universe from servants up to kings and they're all presented as people with interesting stories and powers yes I really like that as well and the I like the way as well that as the because I mean Tamora Pierce has been writing this universe for 40 years and things have really changed you know the way the way that the way that her her understanding of um you know morals and norms and so on has changed over time so has the universe changed over time and so things that we you know beings entities magical creatures people that we might have thought about one way in the the earlier books then as we know more about them our perceptions can change and that I found absolutely fascinating even in the space of one sequence of novels, um, the storm wings being a, a case in point, that, that as as we know more about them, we understand more about their how how and why they are the way they are. And so when we just think of them as being disgusting, evil, harpy-like creatures, we then find out more about them. So Wild Magic is is the book that the first book that we're going to discuss. Can, can you summarise the plot a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So this um, this book introduces us to um, Dane, and I, I think her full name, um, Vera Lidane, or what, uh, Vera Lidane, yeah. I pronounce it. I'm, I'm almost sad that we ha- don't have a main character called Vera, but they went for Dane <laughs> for shortening. Yeah. Um, but Dane is... We meet her in the early chapters, on the, in the first chapter, and she's a young um, young woman and is sort of cut off from human contact in that she's lost family, um, but she has a strong identification with animals. Um, and that we we find out more as the book progresses about how she has um, a relationship with wolf pack and with mm. a, a badger god. But we, when we first meet her, she has a pony, that she can sort of commune with and she's looking for work and she signs on with um, this horse trader who's looking for somebody to to go on a journey with some ponies towards Corris, the capital. Um, And so the book follows their, the first sort of section of the book follows their journey together as, and we, I love how it unfolds because we get to know Dane through her interaction with people Mm. and we know that, that she's happier with animals mm. and so we're all of the interactions are through this slight gawky um lens and on this journey they're attacked by immortals they rescue birds and animals and we begin to see how dane um can can commune with animals and, and can um heal them and control them in in or sort of invite them to be to behave in certain ways rather mm. than control i think um and it turns out that the hawk, one of the hawks they've rescued in, as the immortals have been attacking, is later on revealed as a human in, mm. in hawk form. Um, but I, I really like the opening sequences of this because we're taken into the confusion. Mm. We don't get to see, it unfolds for us as it unfolds for Dane. Um, as, as really good fantasy does, it takes us mm. um, with the protagonist. 
but they get to chorus and um we we see dane sort of slightly envious of um onua her and the horse mistresses um being having a a family of friends as it were of the people who work um with the the um the horses in chorus and they go to the the stables where um they have the queen's riders and there are new recruits being selected for the queen's riders mm. and so um dane is helping onua in in the in the stables to to get the queen's riders the new recruits matched up with horses mm-hmm. and she then journeys with them to um pirate swoop where um which is sarah lana's and george cooper's um home and it's the the conceit for getting them all there is that it's a training summer mm-hmm. at pirate swoop and at pirate swoop they're attacked by um wild immortal wild things immortals and um neighboring countries mm. and the, the plot follows how dane's at first uncontrolled wild magic is tamed is honed is developed in order to then this sort of orphan not very good with humans is transformed into somebody who can save cities and empires but only with the help of animals magical beings and humans so the whole thing unfolds as going from one individual character who's very alone and very distrustful of humans mm. to a young woman who's firmly enmeshed in a society she doesn't really understand but is very welcoming of her yes i love that i, I that's um i think a real strength of this book is the kind of sense of found family um I mean, the first time I read it, I mean, I've, I've read almost all of the, the Tortal books. Um, I read the short stories, but I read them in as I kind of came across them in bits and bobs. So I'd never really, I haven't read them in the correct order. But when I, when I first read this book, I was a bit disappointed in it, in that I felt some of the other books a lot more they're very good at relationships between friends. Um, you know, Tamora Pierce is writing for kind of, I suppose, 11 to 14 year olds. And so um, often there is this very strong sense of friendship, a very strong sense of comradeship, actually, because a lot of the time she is writing about armies and uh, political uh, intrigue and so on. But actually, the fact that Dane isn't very good at making friends at the beginning of the book because of past trauma, um, she witnessed well. She witnessed the um, aftermath of of her family being killed by um, raiders, but then um, the, uh, the traumatic event that led then led to her kind of almost becoming a wolf you know, becoming a, a human wolf. Um, so her initial relationships are with, or her strongest relationships are with animals. And I really like that. I think, you know, always reading about characters who are really good at everything, naturally really good at everything, is not necessarily a particularly healthy 
thing. We need we need characters with flaws, and we need characters with um, who go on a, a, a journey, like um, an emotional journey, as much as on a physical journey, don't we? I think that's really important when you're reading as a young person. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I I, I really got that sense of um, this is definitely a character who is almost intentionally relatable for the child mm. who, who was a bit awkward. Mm. Um, and in the afterword, actually, um, Tamora Pierce did write that she'd based, um, she'd reflected on the fan mail she got for the first Songs of the Lioness um, mm. quartet and that it it was from people saying that they weren't redheads or blondes, so they, they needed mm. to have a, a dark-haired um, yes. hero, um, but also that she realised that she herself wouldn't have been Alana she would have been a Dane who wasn't very confident and and to have a hero who isn't good at everything absolutely as you say who makes mistakes Mm. who who feels awkward and for whom things even with hard work aren't easy and aren't Mm. straightforward I think is really valuable um and I um and my wood pigeon friends can relate very strongly <laughs> to, to this sort of this idea of of being in the human world, but actually being first of all comfortable with with animals. Mm. Um, and I think there's something there about the not fitting in feeling that often children who don't fit in feel comfortable in a particular situation, but yeah. not in not with their peers. And I think here as well the people that she meets initially are all adults and that for for a bookish girl as I was you were friends with the librarian because they would be one feeding you more more fantasy classics um rather than with the sporty or fashion conscious peers that I didn't Mm. didn't understand and so I can I think as as a hero character Dane is really important as somebody who I think lots of like myself, slightly awkward children could relate to Mm. that this is directly their world, Mm. but a fantasy version. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, that that feeling, the kind of the the not being able to control your emotions or or finding it very hard to learn to control your emotions, which if you're a a, a young wild mage um, can actually end up being quite dangerous. (laughs) This is, uh, is great. So you... You said that you you first read Alana. Can you remember, you say you were 13, can you remember how you first encountered Alana? So I, and I think I must have been younger than 13, because I think that was the age that you could go to the young adult section of the library. And before then you were trapped in the children's section. And we had a very big, and I was very, you know, very grateful to have a massive, um, well, what seemed to me massive, it's probably about, 20 bookshelves so quite big children's library um but I'd read everything that I wanted to read in that children's library and then I was stuck because and that was all sort of Swallows and Amazons or Animals of Farthingwood it was Mm. it was either animals or very um middle class nice children yes and and I was bored and I wasn't allowed to go to the 13 plus Mm. section which which probably in retrospect I was not mature enough for yeah, sort of no one needs school. to read Flowers in the Attic when they're 11, Ruth. No, I, I, <laughs> I did at school and I don't recommend it. I slept with the, week, the lights on for a week. Um, and then 
and then stupidly followed it up with a handmaid's tale and then I didn't sleep for a month um, <laughs> so having disastrously tried those books I um I was the lucky recipient of book vouchers. Um, so in the days when you got paper book vouchers for yeah. Christmas or birthdays and you kept them in an envelope and saved them up to, and I was deposited in the Waterstones in Kingston town centre, which was a massive bookshop at that point. Sadly, it's no longer there. It's a, it's a camping shop, but um, it had a whole section of um, fantasy fiction, but by age group mm. and, so I would spend a whole afternoon touching every single book in the place, probably much to the chagrin of the people that worked there, because I take every book off the shelf and read the blurb because you only yeah. have a certain number of book vouchers to spend. And it was really important which ones exactly. you chose. Exactly. Yeah. Because who, who you chose the first book of a series for, that was you committed because books were a precious resource. Yeah. Um, and I I don't know what it was. I mean, I worked my way alphabetically because I knew no better. So by the sort of late afternoon I'd got to pee for tomorrow Pierce and and a female hero and I was obsessed with medieval things and knights so -hmm. this was like wow yeah I must read this so I had no sense of um what I was getting myself in for but to see a female knight was what really um kind of drew me in and the, the front cover of armor and knight um and that got me hooked and so then when I had next had book vouchers then it was to get the second mm. so I was sort of although they were all out at the time I think um I was held back in my reading by the availability of birthday and Christmas book vouchers because they, yes. they didn't have the series in the local library um and having come across it in a sort of um by chance but also having read every blurb of every book mm. um, I was sucked into this world where there were norms that were gender defined mm. but that you could break them mm. and I think what you said earlier about the the universe evolving as it, within the series and as it was written really strikes me that at first it was very much woman as exception mm. that she was the one who was different and then as the universe expands, you meet other strong women who, are, who have very different skills, but who are powerful in their own way. Mm. And that's what hooked the sort of must have been 11, 12 year old me into this universe was the women. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why um, reading Wild Magic, I, I had a special kind of love for how it develops was that it it wasn't a successful woman or a determined woman to start with it was somebody almost accidentally finding out who they were um because I was never an Alana I loved her but yeah I followed my own feet I could not be you know all of these things that she was and so I was dazzled by the Songs of the Linus quartet but I related to Wild Magic Yes, I, I find one of the things I do find quite fascinating about Alana is that while I re, I root for her, I don't find her particularly likeable. I think she's a fabulous character in that way, in that she is allowed to be angry and abrasive and quite rude. 
Um, and, and the people who love her, really love her. Uh, all her friends adore her, but I, no, I don't, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd get on with her if I met her. I think I would get on with Dane. I think I'd have liked Dane a lot, you know, at 13, um, when I was 13 and she was 13. My actual, my favourite character is, have you read The Protector of the Small Quartet? Caladri of Mindelan. Dipped in, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love those books. And I, I really like Caladri because, um, firstly, she's a very, got a great deal of integrity. And while she's, really, you know, she's fairly privileged as a character, but she is still understands her privilege and is determined to use it for good. But also the characters like Dane and like Fayette, the queen, and like um, Alana, who all kind of in some ways reject femininity. Caladry, although she is not a traditionally feminine woman she's very tall she's very broad she's very muscular and very strong but she insists on being not making it comfortable for the other people around her not making it not making not allowing them to see her as oh she's just one of the guys and so she insists on you know wearing her you know nice clothes to go to dinner and and not make it comfortable for the the other men to by wearing male clothes of her time I really like that um and I I've always been a bit of a sucker for um characters who who like wearing nice outfits but also go and beat up trolls or whatever I think that's a good thing (laughs) absolutely and I think that that speaks to your um, original point about how the universe has has developed and evolved in that um, I I think you're absolutely right that I I was dazzled by the, the initial books I read, but I wouldn't have been Alana's friend. And mm. the way that she fits in was to be better than men. And and while she did have some nice clothes that are particularly mentioned in the early books, yes. there was a very much um, a doing enough to fit into the male world. So having... Mm court clothes that were sort of a hybrid so that because she wanted to look like a proper knight which was a man yes, yes. and I think that um while it, at the time for me it was very powerful to have a strong female protagonist there is a sense in which there was a um there had to be a compromise because to be feminine wasn't to be strong yes and and I think that as the as the universe unfolded for for me certainly, there was more of a sense that people as they were could mm. be powerful or strong or or all of the things, but it mm. wasn't about conforming to norms. Yes. And and for me in Wild Magic, there was um when Dane first meets the Queen's Riders and and there's sort of the introductions to everybody. I can't remember who it was. I think it was um, one of the, um, when she's getting fitted for new clothes and um, she's 
and Dane is wearing um, trousers for the first time. Yes. And and someone says to her, you're not home now. The rules have changed. Um, Life's what you make it. And there was that that sense of um, you don't have to conform to constricting norms, but you can be who you are as it's your work that counts almost and it's who you choose mm. to be that matters mm. and I think that if I think at that point the universe was still unfolding that there was still mm. a sense of um that practical wear wasn't skirts yes but but there was this idea that actually you could choose who you could choose which rules you wanted to to go with which norms you wanted to go with and it was practicality and and that you were you declared who you were once you joined the Queen's Riders or once you were in chorus from whichever country or whichever mm. tradition you came from. And I think that was a really appealing thing, which I think develops much more as the universe unfolds and as as times change mm. as well, which is probably helpful in terms of, I wonder what it's like for a 13-year-old reading the whole series from start to finish now, whether it takes you on, the, on a journey from a very... Um, less nuanced sort of 11 year old whether as you read through that that would mirror your your unfolding understanding of the world or whether the the first books now seem quite old-fashioned I don't know yeah I, I don't know either that's an interesting point I mean they, they have also been in and out of print here um I I don't even I'm not sure how many of them are even are in print now I mean certainly I got the second book that we're going to be talking about, Tempest and Slaughter, I have as a Kindle um, book. I don't have a, a hard copy of it, but I think I think um, I don't I don't think it's ever has been as popular here as it was in the states, maybe in other countries. Which is I, I don't know I don't know why. No, and I I did read um, something on um, her. A website, I think it was Tamora's own website, that they were they'd done a reissue of um the Tortal Universe books mm. with um loopholes kind of filled so that they'd gone back and where things didn't match up time-wise or where there were inconsistencies, mm. that they've tidied up the text. And so all the new versions that are published, I mean, I think mainly in America, um, have the edited mm. um universe and and I suppose that that speaks to a real um I really appreciate that because that's saying that actually the story has moved on and changed and so yes there are some things that Mm. if you read the original print versions there'll be inconsistencies but also that life has changed and Mm. and how we speak about people or how we view things have changed and therefore there's I think there's a real um kind of courage in saying actually mm. there's things to be changed or there's and and no sort of and not doing it quietly just sort of saying there's some things to be fixed mm. we're going to fix them and so I yes I think there has the universe itself has changed um in retrospect and but and I love that that mirrors life as well because we we have we reevaluate history mm. based on our current understandings so it yes. is like that the total universe is its own universe and the historian, the keeper of the knowledge, i.e. Tamora Pierce, has reflected that back in newer printings. 
Um, but certainly I, I've got everything on Kindle that's that's recent because I can't, I couldn't get print copies. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a shame, really, because I, I think I would have appreciated reading these um, when I was younger than I did. I mean, I think I was about 20 when I first read uh, Alana. So what if with the characters that we, the first encounter in um, Wild Magic is um, the mage Numer Salmaline, who, as you said, we first encounter actually as a black hawk, but Dane's senses is not your average hawk. And she gets quite distressed by not being able to relate to him as an animal. Um, what Numer, first of all, what, what did you like or dislike about him? He was a, a rumbling sense of unease. Mm. In, and I think that was really effectively written that actually we, when she rescued that hawk and it, was, it felt like the, one of the hinge moments of, of mm. the book, but there was this disquiet and unease that who whether was this a force for good was this something that would come back to bite her mm. um figuratively or literally um and <laughs> and i i think i really appreciated that there was no quick reveal on that mm. that we lived with the unease with dame so that there was this this sense of um attraction but but also real difficulty and distress that that this wasn't a hawk that she could mm. fully relate to and and the kind of the impenetrable um nature of that and then when um when he was revealed when alana and the the queen's riders turn up and um they work magic um that that sense of suddenly here's this person who um was hidden before you've got this sort of undercover spy the the not knowing whether he's a goodie or a baddie in the mm. you know the what are intent what his intentions are why was he trapped I think it brilliantly um, kind of introduced this this unknown man kind of right in the middle of the story um, but I have to say also that I I'm a little bit disappointed by um, a man needing to be the key to explaining things and by um by it being an older man as well and I, mm. i'm as a as an adult reading these books i'm then slightly creeped out by a you know a young girl and this older mysterious man who doesn't reveal his feelings and who doesn't talk mm. about things in, in some ways that 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 sets off now my oh I'm not very comfortable with this unequal relationship. So I both I both really like the writing of the the mystery and the and the confusion around there, mm. the kind of his first reveal. Um, but then he's written, I think, in those in in Wild Magic as a sort of an mysterious, unknowable, allowed to be grumpy man. Mm. Um, and that sounds like the patriarchy to me. So, yes. um, so I, I have a sort of, I think in Wild Magic, I have a very uneasy relationship with him. And yes. I almost was rooting for her not to become enmeshed with him, didn't trust him, felt that he's, there's something not 
not above ball about him. So I, in in Wild Magic, I don't warm to him. He's a bit imperious. Mm. And yeah, yeah a bit I, creepy. There, there's something about those books, both the Alana Quartet, the Song of the Lioness Quartet, and the Wild Magic Quartet, where the protagonist falls in love with an older man who is sort of also their protector that I I don't enjoy. Mm. I don't like that. With uh, at least with Alana, she's allowed to have relationships with other men. So, you know, she has a relationship with Prince Jonathan. She has a relationship with the Shang warrior. And then finally um, ends up with, with George, who's her, who is her friend, but her, is also a much older man who has been supporting her and protecting her along the way. And it's that kind of daddy long, you know, the book Daddy Long Legs? Yeah, which is also like he's been grooming her to be his wife and I find that grim um and I yes that is that is a part I mean Dane doesn't actually even really get to try out relationships with other not romantic relationships she has friendships with other people Mm. but she doesn't get to even try out relationships with other people you know she's just kind of imprinted on Numeri and yeah I don't I don't find that comfortable. I don't think he's as old as Alana, but he is certainly um, an adult when Dane is a child. And that's, yes. Yeah. Because the, the blurb for the um, the, um, the the book that um, that you're recommending, Tempest of Slaughter, that says set twenty years before Wild Magic. And he's already an adult then in Wild Magic. So we're talking possibly a a 40-something-year-old. Yeah, he starts off as six in Tempest and Slaughter. Okay, so maybe not not that old. Yeah, but even if he's he's 26 and she's 13, that is still... um, That's an enormous age gap and also power gap between the two of them. And I don't find that comfortable. Yes. And I I don't think I'd appreciate it. Yes. I, I totally agree about the age thing. And I hadn't reflected on it until you said about um, Alana and the older men as well, that Liam, the, um, the Shang warrior, he was also older. Yes. And Jonathan was her king. Yeah. Her, or her prince as well as her. So he wasn't her equal. So there is this pattern of of young, very young women. And like you say, it is, it's almost grooming, isn't it? Of yeah. being, and you see it in um, when Dane first goes to the Queen's Riders um, stables and she meets each of the men for the first time. She meets King Jonathan and is instantly attracted to him. Yes. And, and yes, I guess when you're, when you're young, you are dazzled by older people, but it felt a little bit creepy because, Yes, she's not written as feeling that way about anyone younger. It's yeah. all the people who are the almost the next generation up. Mm. Yeah, I know Tamora Pierce has, has written about this, 
and it is kind of her her pre- her preference in romantic partners that she does like you know older and uh glamorous men and so she but and actually after I think in Caladry's books spoiler for the Caladry books she actually ends up on her own she decides at the end you know she's had she has a a romantic relationship with a boy of her own age or maybe a year or so older than her but she decides at the end of it actually she doesn't really want a romantic relationship and I, I appreciate that that's one of the many reasons why I like those books it's very different and after that the books that come after that they are much more um the relationships with them are, are much more equal um and so I think again this is something that that Tamora Pierce learns has learned from mm. um you know the evolving times and so on. Okay, shall we move, talk about Tempests and Slaughter then? Yes. Um, which, yes, fascinating, fascinates me. So, in Tempest, this is the blurb. In Tempest and Slaughter, fans of Tamora Pierce will be rewarded with a never-before-told story of how Nemea Samaline comes to Tortal. Newcomers will discover an unforgettable fantasy adventure where the kingdom's future rests, where a kingdom's future rests on the shoulders of a young man with unimaginable gifts and a talent for making vicious enemies. The legend begins. In the halls of the Imperial University of Carthac, a young man has begun his journey to become one of the most powerful mages the realm has ever known. Aram Draper is the youngest student in his class and has the gift of unlimited potential for greatness and of attracting danger. At his side are his two best friends, Clever Varice, a girl too often overlooked, and Ozorn, the leftover prince with secret ambitions. Together, these three forge a bond that will one day shape kingdoms. But as Ozorn inches closer to the throne and Varice grows, grows closer to Aram's heart, Aram realizes that one day, soon, he will have to decide where his loyalties truly lie. Do you think that a newcomer would discover an unforgettable fantasy adventure? Or do you think it would be totally confusing? It is a fantasy adventure, but I wonder whether um, without the some knowledge of mm. the, the backstory, you I think you would miss a lot of the undercurrents. Yes. Um, and and I have to say, um, it it is written um, no, sort of almost knowing that you will have read the other books yes. or assuming you've read the other books. And so things like not revealing that Sarge is Sarge until mm. until there's been some fight drama, so that you a character that's that's front and centre in in wild magic is introduced in his earlier sort of incarnation, but you're, the way that, that he's written, you don't realise that his name changes. And, and so there, so it's written knowingly that, yeah. that some people will be picking up on things. So I think you could read it, but I don't think it'd be as rich without some understanding of the universe because it doesn't do lots of the explanatory work about who's who and, mm. 
And I think there's a sense of doom about it because almost from somebody who's from the Tortal universe to start with, Carthage is the is the enemy. Yes. And yet you don't know that you're in the enemy's camp unless you've read the rest of the universe or some of the rest of the universe. Yes. So and it's a very different, I think it's a smaller, um, a smaller world in that it does stand alone, but I don't think um, I don't. Yeah, I don't think unless you knew it was it was linked into this bigger universe that you'd see the the expanded possibilities for it because it feels like a very local story. Yes, if you, if you were just coming at it like that. Yeah, I and mean, you don't. Apart from Aram, who we know becomes Mumere. Apart from he he travels down the Zikoi River. And of course, we know that he's come from Gala. He's come from another country to study in Carthag. But apart from that, it's very much located within the university. And it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the physical journey elements that a lot of the, that most of the other books have. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm really interested. I, I'm really interested to read how Numer gets to be Numer and how he leaves Carthag. And I mean, we, we know that because of wild magic, we know that he falls out with Ozorn. We know, and even though they end up at the end of this book, the three some are still friends and uh, Ozon says never has anyone had friends like you we already know that the cracks are starting to appear we all you know we know that it's not entirely Ozon's fault that he is he, his his character flaws are, are becoming more and more to the front but at the same time we know that it's not an it's not a tenable situation that they are going to continue, or at least that he and uh, he and Aram are going to stay friends. Faris is a, a much more unknowable character, I think, in this book. Yes, I I, I really think uh, I wouldn't have continued to read this series if this was the first one I picked up. No, it. it it's fascinating because of where it sits within the canon mm. rather than necessarily as a, a standalone book. And I was, I was trying to think why, because I really liked the writing. I really liked the university description, but it is a bit, um, it verges on the boarding school. Yes. fantasy sort of crossover, doesn't it? Um, and it's also, it's a male protagonist. And yes. I find myself a bit disappointed by that, which, you know, we all want to see ourselves reflected in in print. Yeah. Um, and I, there were things about it I found really interesting. And I, I love the the Roman and the Greek world. So, having a city that is less visibly medieval night and more Roman Empire or Roman era Empire with um, colosseums and um, that that world is really interesting to me. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that the interest lies in how it connects with the rest, mm. um, rather than I've you know I've I've read other stories that are male 
boarding school mm. kind of series and what does this what does this add to it in in some ways um but having said that I really enjoyed the book yeah yeah but would I recommend it as a place to start no I don't think I would definitely not I, I think I'd always I think you can read Wild Magic without having read The Sons of the Lioness. I think you can read Protected Small, but I don't think you would be able to, to read this without, without having read or at least knowing something about the rest of the universe. Well, you, you started mentioning the university setting. And I mean, one of the things that, you know, as both you and I are, are university lecturers, I, I did the timetables at the beginning of each chapter just made me laugh so much and I I was because I was thinking to myself you know timetables in a regular university are bad enough (laughs) (laughs) it's clear that the the only way that that they can manage this timetable is is by you know having pre-breakfast lectures which is definitely not something I think the union might have something to say about that don't you absolutely absolutely (laughs) and I but I, I partly I love that fact that when um, when they're trying to work out how they can rearrange his timetable and his lecturers, that there is that sense of um, real life frustration that it's not just a magic world where everything is. There is sort of annoying organisational glitches even in this fantasy world. Yes. So I, I, I like I appreciated that as a lecturer of the somebody, <laughs> yeah. somebody being kind of horrified by which students they've been given or where the timetable fits. Yeah, and the professional uh, professional issues between Chioke and uh, the fire, uh, the war mage, fire mage, war mage, and Cosmos, the, the kind of the dean of the university. I, I found that quite funny. But, and the indiscreet university gossip as well. Yes, totally. <laughs> And I mean, lecturers falling asleep in lectures, that would never happen. Never, ne- never, never. <laughs> <laughs> might feel like it, <laughs> but I wouldn't actually do it. Yes, that did remind me a little bit of um, stories about eccentric um, professors at Oxford, you know, in the 1920s. I can just imagine J.R.R. Tolkien falling asleep over a pipe during a seminar. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the, one of the things I found particularly fascinating is the religion in the book. Um, the, as the books go on, um, there are, I think it starts, is it in the, the hand of the goddess, in the hands of goddess? Marilana meets the, the goddess, uh, one of the... Um, deities that are in the Tortar world because it is it's a multi-deity world isn't it there's not just different different countries seem to um worship different forms of deity so we we find out for example in this book that the the mother goddess is a triple goddess and there's um and you know, one aspect of her is revered in different parts of the of the Tortal universe, but it's the the graveyard hag, the kind of the crone aspect mm. that she is uh, revered in in Carthac. What what did you think about that? I um, 
it was it was one of the things that really struck me on on first reading the um that even the, the university is introduced around um and this is a day of worship for those who, yes. who want to worship and and in some ways it it struck me that it um there was a sense of the American about it in that where where religious um norms kind of dictate society mm. even though many people wouldn't actively partake that there was sort of an underlying understanding that this was the framework on which the city was built yes um, and I, I was really interested in the um the ways in which the the pantheon was seen as both as real but also the the way that the aram draper isn't religious and yet at times makes observance to gods or um, has conversations with gods. Mm. Um, there is this, this sense that um, they are real and they are active in life and yet they're not, and yet there's also this sort of um, formalised mm. religious practice to, without necessarily an understanding that they really are real for some people. So I was, I suppose I, th- I was quite surprised that the religion was so central mm. um, to this and that religion and magic are interwoven very mm. much in this book. And that I suppose there's some sort of, um, yeah, there's some explaining to be done about how those two relate and where the power lies and mm. and the different power dynamics within religion. So the, you know, the, the immortals world and the, how the crocodile gods on you know not the top of the pecking order there but are very dangerous to the humans mm. here and so I I was really fascinated by that that aspect of it and the plurality of it you're absolutely right the way that many people were presented as having different views of religion mm. and yet it it ran through the whole society at the same time. Yes Mithras is the god of war and soldiers and we the previous books dwell very much in particular in particular actually protector of the small uh, Mithras is a Mithros I think is a very uh, important god but I like the way that they are sworn by like in <laughs> in many ways so the the kind of um Onua's religion is the horse lords are you know they're kind of I think supposed to she kind of relates to the sort of Mongol steppe area of, of um, our world and the, the kind of horse trading and so on is really important. But yeah, the graveyard hag um, who sort of decides that Aram is going to be her kind of special interest, even though he's not welcoming it, and even though he's not religious, it doesn't matter that he doesn't follow her. She's going to follow him. And you've got no choice in the matter. And I, I did, I found that the way that the gods are not benevolent, they're not, uh, they're not of a wholly positive force, I found uh, very mm. interesting. Um, but for Aaron, it's not kind of, that's not exoticized, but I did find 
the exoticism of Prince Ozorn a little bit difficult to read. Um, in the way that he he dresses in a particularly orientalist way. I don't know. I sort of see Carth. I imagine Carthage as being a bit like uh, Roman era Egypt. So when I'm thinking about Ozorn and, and the way that he's dressed, I'm thinking about the kind of um, the pyramid paintings of uh, Egyptian, ancient Egyptian um, nobility. I don't know. I I don't. I've, I I felt it felt quite quite awkward to read at times, in the way that he is exotic and we know is also going to become a bad guy yeah uh, mm. I sort of I guess I'll have to see how that pans out in the next novel and I I think I think you've put your finger on on some of my unease as well in that um that he his his hatred of the the people that killed his father or that he sees killed his father and his it because he's blind to the possibility that that might not be the whole truth it does mean that he's a slight caricature he's not painted as as three-dimensionally as he might Mm. be and therefore there are some um I don't want to to say lazy but almost lazy um kind of stereotypes or Mm. or assumptions that match his character um and so yes I felt a sense of unease with that in that um he was a bit capricious and a bit um but and then but then features of his own personhood were identified as slightly exotic yeah um, within that world and I think there was much there was you know, visible representation of um, gay couples and, and a whole range of people from different countries and different traditions that didn't feel other. Mm. Um, but what is it about Azorn that, that somehow he is represented as, as other? And is that because he will be the baddie and therefore that's already kind of that backstory has... Mm forward story is kind of crept in I don't know yes and we we even get uh, a surrogate character although he's not particularly well developed but um, Aaron and Azon's roommate who not Diop the who's you know but the the other character gosh is his name Lorne I can't remember who Aaron meets up with while he is working in the hospital and realises, oh, yeah, he's there is another side to the story of uh, the death of, of Ozon's father. But also that Aaron, Aaron hasn't encountered or hasn't internalised this prejudiced view of the Syrogates, but also he's not going to pretend to the way that Varese does, just to kind of make everything, everyone get along okay. 
And so mm. very it's all about smoothing over the uncomfortable bits and saying, would you like a cake uh, to make everything better? Um, yes, that, that bit I didn't particularly like. And also I'm not sure that the character of characters of Tristram and Gissa, who we, we meet mm. in the second wild magic book i'm not sure they were particularly successful either we kind of get the idea that tristram's jealous of aaron and that's why he is a an antagonist mm. um but gissa i felt was was very much left out of that i didn't get handle on her at all no and i agree and i i felt there was a sense of an author pacing herself for a series of books. Yes. That if this had been a new writer um, having to justify every character on every page, mm. they would either have been left out of that bit or much more roundly mm. um, filled out. And I think you're absolutely right about Gissa that I had no sense of what of who, who she was and why she was there. Um, it, it felt like either there was something that was edged out or something that, that will become apparent Mm. that they needed to be present early on and then in the later books which I haven't got to yet there'll be something revealed yes. so there was a sort of slight sense of placeholder about them yeah absolutely and you know I, I mean I think for it's not a book that I would sort of recommend to people to read as a standalone book I think definitely it has it has its place in the um in the canon but mm. not I don't think it's one of her best at all no I think I'd, I'd agree and I there are some really some some bits where individual scenes or individual parts of that world so some of the healing mm. um kind of scenes and some of the um the um, gladiator kind of mm. um, relational scenes are absolutely sparkling, um, but it, it there's so much in mm. in the book that necessarily you can't she can't reveal all of that to us, and mm. so then it's sort of you feel like you've been on a weekend break to try and see Rome rather than a <laughs> month stay. Um, and I suppose I anything that she mentions, I want to know more of because the world is so interesting as a mm. broader universe. And so then I feel a bit cheated by quickly glossing over things that even mm. like the market, I don't, I don't have a sense in my head of what the market looked like. Yes. And I feel like in the the Song of the Lioness Quartet, you would have got pages of rich description about these yeah. things that Alana was seeing for the first time, and it's almost assumed that we can fill in the blanks ourselves because yes. that's. The world itself is not the important thing. It's the character of Aram who becomes new mayor that's the important thing. You've absolutely put your finger on it. Yes, absolutely. Even in the, the first four books, not the first four books, the books that are about George Cooper's ancestress, Becca Cooper, the, the um, I can't remember what they're called now, but anyway, the Becca Cooper books, there's loads in there about going to taverns, about the, um, the food, about uh, the entertainment. Um, and they're just wonderful and so rich because of it. And I suppose, in a way, 
it is because Aram is younger and, you know, he's six at the beginning of the books and he's about 13, I think, at the end, maybe a little bit older. But even, even so, there's, there's no real sense of, of the extended world. It's all so based within, within the university that we don't, we don't get a, a picture of the rest of the, the universe as well. And it is the entire universe of Tortal that I'm interested in. Um, so, yeah, my, my actual least favourite of the, of the books, of the, the Tortal books as a whole, uh, are the two books about Alama's daughter, the trickster books. I really, I really couldn't get on with them. Um, Tempest's Slaughter is not, you know, it's not my least favourite by any count, but it's, it's not up there with, with my favourites. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right about the 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 depth of the scenes. And as, as you were saying, I was thinking, yes, the tavern scenes and the the kind of everyday people. Yes. You get the feeling that they're, they're, the kitchens are mentioned a lot, but why don't we have a great kitchen scene where we meet the cooks and we yeah. we get a sense of how they work and the bustle and and we, we don't get... see Varice. We don't we see very little of Varice. No. We only see her in in relationship to Azorn. And to Aaron, so we we're told she's a very powerful um, mage in her own in her own sphere, which is the domestic sphere. But we don't we don't see that, and no, I, I, take, I hope we do. Yeah, we have to take her word for it, don't we? Almost. Yes. And, and the only bit that comes close to being that that deeply developed is the sort of the menagerie rooms where. Yeah where he moves to but even then it was it was like you were being quickly shown round by an estate yeah. agent rather than really dwelling there yes yeah we we haven't got our full menagerie um experience by any means yeah okay well thank you so much Ruth that's been absolutely brilliant and um I hope that when the book two of Tempest and Slaughter comes out well hopefully we can we can chat again um, absolutely i've really I, enjoyed I, it yeah and i know that tora pierce has been on well so I, I do hope she's on the mend and is is writing again not you know for any selfish reason of course of course <laughs> not <laughs> so thank you everyone for listening to episode nine of fantasy book swap you can find us on twitter at fantasy swap facebook at fantasy book swap or email fantasybookswap at gmail.com you can subscribe at most of your favourite podcast places or you can download from Podbean. Thank you to Steve Vapor-Charles for production assistance and Jack Sadler-Johnson for the use of his beautiful track, Bliss. Until next time, bye.